a brand new episode of the Happy Productive Podcast is about to begin. It's time to be inspired by simple and actionable solutions for you and your business. If you're an established entrepreneur or just laying down the first brick of your future empire, the mantra is the same. We will flip any failure into a positive and use it to our advantage. This show is all about turning coal into diamonds. With the right plan and mindset, anything is possible. I'm Jennifer John, your host, business coach, and founder of Best Planner Ever. And I'm here to help you achieve all your ambitious goals. Success is closer than you think. Let's do this. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Happy Productive Podcast. Today, my guest is Myra Holzman. And you guys, I'm so excited for this conversation. Myra is a body-oriented or somatic therapist. Somatic therapist. If you don't know what that is, just sit tight because you're going to absolutely love this. She specializes in helping people heal from the impacts of childhood trauma at Somatic Therapy Partners. Welcome, Myra, to the show. Jennifer, I'm so excited to be here and to have this conversation with you. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Can you just give everybody a couple minutes of just like your story? Like, how did you get into doing this kind of work? What the heck is like somatic anything? Like, if you haven't heard of this before, you might be like, what the heck is she talking about today? And just give us a little bit of your story and how you came to be here with us today doing this work. Yeah, that sounds good. So let me just define somatic therapy first. You said it in the in my introduction, but basically soma as a as a word beginner just refers to of the body. And all that that means is that when I'm working with clients, healing trauma and helping them deal with their anxiety, I'm in I'm enlisting the body as an ally in the healing process. So what we know from today from neuroscience and all of the scans and technology that we can do is that it's not enough to change your thoughts, especially if you have um, an experience of early trauma. You also have to enlist your body because your body is what houses the trauma. So if you're not if you're not able to listen to what your body's telling you, it's going to be really hard to sort of overcome some of those um, aspects of trauma that people struggle with after the event. So that's the definition of uh, what somatic therapy is. And I've been a therapist for over 20 years now, and I got into somatic therapy partly because I needed to do my own healing work from early trauma, and also because what I was finding when I was just doing cognitive-based or top-down therapy, meaning just focusing on thoughts you know, and narratives, is that healing didn't seem to be lasting. It was more like I was helping my clients cope better by identifying certain thought patterns and how that impacted them, but they were still struggling again and again and again. And when I found somatic therapy and then started specializing in a therapeutic touch form called co-regulating touch, I started seeing clients make what I would call miraculous changes and meaning that they made changes in a short amount of time, their changes were sustainable. And part of it was because they had healed their body's patterns that were keeping them in what's called survival physiology. So I was pretty hooked for my own healing as well as the way that I was seeing clients shift. And so I've been doing this for a long time. And I run a group practice out of Denver, Colorado called Somatic Therapy Partners, specializing just in somatic approaches. Oh, fabulous. We have an amazing um, 
client in Denver, Colorado, who does couples counseling, I need to connect you to because I would uh, love that. Yeah, yeah. Your work together could be so, so powerful. Let's go for those listening and let's talk just a little bit about trauma. Because for some people, when you hear trauma, you might think something very, very severe happened. You know, I had a father who was sexually abusive. Clearly, that's a severe thing that happens, but that's not everybody. And there are people who can have different levels of trauma and maybe even not even realize it. So can you go in a little bit deeper into trauma, what that can look like, even if it's not something that's, you know, readily obvious, like some severe, you know, car accident, you know, something really severe um, that, that happened and like, just give everybody a little idea of what that can look like. Yeah, that's a great question. So right off the bat, I there's a lot of different forms of trauma, but the two most basic that I'll speak about are shock trauma, which is what you're talking about. So a shock traumatic event is an event where you felt overwhelmed or you got hurt and you couldn't run away or defend yourself. You couldn't escape or defend yourself. And that's what a lot of people think about when they think of trauma. It's like, well, nothing bad happened in my childhood. I wasn't in a motor vehicle accident. We weren't poor. You know, like I hear clients talking about this. And the other form of trauma is called developmental trauma. And all that that means is that things didn't go that well in those first five years of life when the brain and the nervous system are developing at exponential rates, probably the greatest rates of creation or development in all of our spans as a lifetime as a human. And what I find with my clients that come to see me is that, you know, a lot of them certainly do have, it's called complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So they didn't just have one event where they were abused. It happened over and over and over again. So there's the obvious, which is abuse. That's a pretty obvious, like, yep, I went through that. That was my, my early childhood. I experienced a lot of physical abuse. What I find that my clients are coming in for that they don't recognize as a form of trauma is emotional neglect. And that's what I think a lot, frankly, a lot of adults are struggling with. And emotional neglect is basically where there was a misattunement or a disconnection. Sometimes it's called intermittent parenting by the people that that raised us, whether it's our guardians or our parents. And emotional neglect often looks like low self-worth. It looks like feeling stupid or shaming ourselves when we have any emotions that aren't good, happy, positive, flowing, expansive. It's also a way of not being able to take care of yourself. So a lot of my clients who struggle with emotional neglect are terrible at self-care. They just don't kind of know what to do. It doesn't even, like more than anything, it doesn't even occur to them that in an eight-hour day, I should probably be taking all of my breaks, like an hour for lunch, 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the afternoon, just to be able to regulate and get grounded and figure out where I am versus running all the time in that survival physiology, which often feels either like a sense of urgency and not enoughness, or on the opposite end of the nervous system spectrum, a lot of spaciness, a lot of shutdown, a lot of disconnection, dissociation. So that's what I'm seeing a lot is is the the two main things with emotional neglect is lack of emotional, lack of connection to their emotions, making themselves wrong whenever they feel an emotion that isn't socially acceptable, and then poor self-worth. So a lot of folks have, whether they have emotional neglect or pretty serious trauma, trauma and shame often go together. So it looks like a lot of different things. It doesn't look like, you know, people having panic attacks all the time or or feeling frozen. It can be just this subtle way where, for example, 
you put all of your needs second to your family or your best friend or your partner, and you end up, let's say, feeling resentful because none of your needs are getting met because you haven't learned how to advocate for them because you didn't have someone advocating for them for you when you were young. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense that I'm going to yeah. get on an airplane and come book an appointment with you right now because I don't live in Colorado. Um, <laughs> Please come. And, yeah, exactly. Right. And so then, okay, so take this and put this into the context of a business owner. And I know y'all listening right now, all you business owners, and you're like, because I work with you guys and it's like, and I am one of you guys where my self-care is probably one of the hardest things that I have to prioritize. And I see this with so many business owners. And I think it is, it's very socially acceptable to be like, I'm a busy, I'm a busy business owner, and I'm busy, 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 and I put myself last. And so I think that this has got to be like broken up, because we get like, you know, credit from people who are like, wow, look at them, like, they're so busy, and they have a successful business. And of course, that's why they're burning the candle at both ends. Yet, business owners who don't prioritize their self-care and don't take care of them actually make less money. They are, you know, they're the ones that are in the ER with the heart attack. Okay. And and their businesses, like eventually you're going to burn out and you're going to give up or you're going to quit and it's not going to be pretty. And so put that into that. I would love to hear just your thoughts on a business owner that isn't doing like their self-care. Like how do you help them to kind of get over that or get past that? Yeah, this is a great question. So as you were talking, I was thinking about the three things that I experience as a business owner, and I continue to do my healing work. I've done a lot of healing work, but the three things that I see, and you already mentioned one of them, is that when you haven't healed your childhood trauma, burnout is a thing that you do that happens all of the time, and you're constantly fighting against it. You procrastinate a lot, whether it's about business or personal things. And then the third is a lack of joy. So when I was struggling pretty deeply with burnout, this happened during the span of COVID because COVID sort of gave me license in the beginning to take a break. But then also it's it made me, not made me, but for two years, I just worked a lot. I worked a whole lot more and all of those things were happening, burnout, procrastination, and a lack of joy. And one of the things, especially with early trauma, is that for folks who haven't done their work around that, there isn't an embedded or ex- or lived experience of safety in the body. And safety and regulation are connected but different. So safety is, I know how to feel safe in my body because I can feel it physiologically. I can feel my breath grow longer. I can feel my shoulders drop away from my ears. Tension starts to dissipate and I feel more expansive, right? But if I don't have that, then I'm just going to keep replaying the same experience of survival physiology through my business by feeling urgent, by feeling not enough, by feeling like I'm always behind. And there's going to be that chatter that supports my physiology from being in that up kind of anxious, go, 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 go kind of energy, which of course, you know, the body is very amazing, but it's also physically limited. It's not normal to work 60 hours a week. For anyone listening, like I say with great love, it's not normal to work for 60 hours a week. And so a lot of my work with clients is one about helping them have a lived experience of safety and regulation as their new guardrail, as their new, this, like when I feel regulated, I'll give you the briefest definition of it. I feel calm and alert. Right. So imagine being a business owner and going throughout your day and 80 percent of your day being calm and alert about things. I don't know that many business owners that know how to do that very well because there's often a lot of urgency. So that's one piece. The other thing that I do to support 
people in general and just feeling more resilient is I tell them to prioritize joy. Because, you know, it's one thing to be in the habit of your business. But if someone says to you, do you like running your business? Are you happy doing this? Does it bring you a sense of peace? Or is it, you know, bringing some, is it, is it creating meaning for your life? I think that half the time people are like, no, this is just what I do. This is what I have to do to feed my family. And it's a whole, it's a different proposition when you can fill your cup with joy, whether it's within the workspace or outside of the workspace. So for me, self-care and joy need to be two twin flames in anybody's wheelhouse. It's not just about taking care of yourself because self-care honestly isn't that fun sometimes. You have to go to the dentist. You have to go to the gynecologist. You just have to go do all of those things. But planning for joy that can be a really hard one proposition when it feels like we've got this urgency to run our business. Otherwise, we're not going to make it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes so yeah. much sense. And I know there are people right now and they're nodding their heads and they're totally getting it because they're like, oh, if I only worked a 60 hour week, that would feel like a vacation. And you guys know who you are. And the thing is that you are absolutely, it will only lead you to burnout. And I'm only speaking from experience of like, you know, how many times do I have to do this before it's like, hey, wait, like something needs to change here. But it is so, so important to do your self-care. And one of the things I've noticed is that it's like, we know we need to do it, but then we still sometimes like won't do it. And when I feel myself like resisting, like I know I'm supposed to do my self-care. I know all the studies. I know how much better I feel when I do it, but I still resist it. Anytime I'm feeling some of that resistance, I've noticed now that as I've been doing this work on myself for years is that it's usually something deeper. It's usually something really, really, really deep in there. And even though I've, I've done a lot of this work for, for many, many years and have now gotten to a point where I can do it without like my world needing to fall apart. I can like, I'm doing yeah. this work and I, everything doesn't need to fall apart. But sometimes it's just like, there's something deep in there. And if you don't fix it, even the things that you know you're supposed to do, you're still going to feel resistance and you're still going to struggle with them. I mean, do you see yeah. this too? Absolutely. Yeah. So a couple of things I have to say. So one thing that you said is, I know it'll make me feel better. So I got this term from someone that I heard on a podcast, but it's, it's something I've been doing and now there's just a name for it. And it's called joy spotting. It's the number one thing that I teach all of my clients. And a lot of times what we as humans do in our modern society is we will gloss over, we will literally not just even gloss over, but ignore some of the good things that happen in our day. It's like, okay, so for example, I made it, you know, I was 10 minutes late to this podcast, but I made it happen. And that's something that as I was driving back, knowing that I was going to be here to be able to complete this podcast, I was savoring in my body. I was like, oh, I came up with a, I, pro I solved the problem. My husband came out and brought me my computer and the whole way home I was listening to music and I was like, I'm going to make it like, this is great. And so the homework that I give to people is, can you savor no matter how small or big the moment is the goodness that has actually happened in your day? Because as a business owner, we're like, ah, oh, I didn't get that done. And I should have gotten that done, but I was just too tired. And we're making a list of all of our gaps, all of the places yeah. that we didn't quite show up. And of course, what happens is that it translates into body as tension and collapse. So not only will I brace because I'm like, oh, darn it, I didn't meet that deadline from my VA, but I'm going to kind of do this at the end of the day because our body can't be in that tension anti-gravity experience all day. It will eventually collapse, right? So yeah. I just wanted to talk about that just as a, 
as a very specific thing. And I'll, I'll give you just sort of the quick primer for everyone that's listening. So the way that you practice joy spotting, and you can do it anytime, but typically I have my clients start at the end of the day. I'll say, just find one moment that felt either neutral or good enough in your day right? So was it the drive, you got home in time and dinner was made for you, or you liked a song that came on the radio, or who knows what, but you're going to look for one thing. And then I want you to replay that memory in your mind of that good enough or neutral feeling moment. And then as your mind is remembering that moment that I got my computer and my husband showed up, right? I want you to notice what starts to happen in your body. So you have to send your attention south into the body. And what you're looking for, you have to train your mind to look for this, are good enough or neutral feeling sensations, right? Mm -hmm. So when I think about getting my computer, my face already is smiling. My chest starts to open. My breathing starts to elongate because I was able to complete my responsibility for signing up for this podcast interview and showing up. And I can't tell you, Jennifer, how many people just gloss over all the amazing things they did today. Even if it was, I wrote my a really hard email to my boss, right? Or I fired that person that was really, you know, bringing my business down. Those are massive experiences of goodness. But we as humans have to learn how to savor and enjoy those. And the way that we experience that happens in the body. It doesn't happen in the mind. Pleasure is not something that we think about. Pleasure and pleasant experiences are something that are completely visceral. And if you spend even one minute noticing what happens in your body when you've spotted something that feels joyful or good enough, it really starts to change the way that you operate both in business and in life. Oh, this is so cool and so powerful. And it's interesting to me because my day just today started great. And I, of course, then, so I got up early this morning. I'm an early morning person. I knocked out some work. Yay. I just learned to ride a motorcycle a couple months ago. So I'm riding my motorcycle now. And we had some drama at our barn, which is about a half hour away. And so now I've got it all set up to where I ride my motorcycle out. I take care of my horses and I ride my motorcycle back. And I just started being able to do this because of everything that's been shifting around. And so my day to be like, Woohoo! I got some work done. I rode my motorcycle. I saw my horses, which always just grounds me and centers me and feels so good. Rode the motorcycle back. It's a beautiful day. And then, you know, I get to work. And what am I doing? Of course, I'm recording podcasts today, which is great. And then in between shows, I'm work, work, working. And that whole mental, oh my God, how am I going to get, you know, all this stuff done today and look at my day tomorrow and look how things are stacked up. Like, literally, I'm just, I was like stuck in it until you said that. I'm like, wait a second. As soon as I start thinking about my morning, I'm like, oh, today started so beautiful. So beautiful. And I feel the shift in my body. I feel the shift in my body. Yes. And I, I just, I love this, but it is, it is shocking to me how many people, when I coach them and I ask them, what do you have in your life that just brings you joy? For me, horses, had them my whole life. Like, uh, I rode this weekend. And it's just like, uh, it just grounds me. Like everything in life just aligns. And it's just like, I'm just happy and I don't have to try. It's just so happy. Loving this new thing with the motorcycle. Learn something new we ride four wheelers. I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie, but it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) But these things like get me out in nature. I'm having fun. And it's shocking to me how many people I ask, you know, what do you do that just brings you pure joy just for you? And they don't have an answer or they don't know. 
Like, how do you go through life without knowing this really brings me joy? Yeah, I mean, what you're speaking to, I think, is a trauma response. Because what trauma is necessarily is a joy stealer, right? If your system is constantly wired to be hypervigilant or bracing for the next impact of whatever it is, it's really hard to find joy. Frankly, it's even just hard to be curious. You just kind of like stay in your lane with your blinders on because that's the thing that keeps you safe. So for those listeners that are like, work is my safe place, I would say, okay, I'm glad you found a safe place. And now we've got to expand you out of your safe place to take the risk of feeling joy. Because for those folks, especially who have experienced early trauma, the fear is, is, you know, why bother with joy? Because it's just going to get taken away in the next breath. And I have a lot of clients that are sitting there when they start to feel more regulated and their world starts to open up and they feel calm and alert most of the time. They they will come into sessions and just be like, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I will say to them, like, well, what if the other shoe doesn't drop? What if this is now your new norm where you are consistently peaceful, calm and alert throughout your day? And again, it's normal for me, for the clients that I see to not know what brings them joy, because when you don't feel safe in your early childhood, especially joy is not something that you just don't have access to. Right. It's kind of like if someone didn't buy you a computer, you have no access to the Internet. So you have no access to joy if you're constantly trying to keep yourself safe in your environment. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, it makes perfect sense. And I so believe it. It's funny. We have, um, we're starting to create a little joke in my coaching practice. Uh, it's called the roof collapse strategy because we had a client who the snow load, she stores all of her merchandise in a warehouse in Minnesota and the snow load caused the roof to collapse this year. You know, she survived COVID <laughs> a couple years ago and this year it was the roof collapse and it was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my business, da, 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 da. Well, no, nope, yeah. she didn't lose her business. And we, you know, she, she got out there, got it all resolved. And it actually turned out to be a good thing, even though when it was happening, it was like calamity and chaos. And oh my gosh, how is this going to end? But, you know, uh, fast forward a month or six, eight, whatever long weeks long it took. At the end of it, she was actually grateful. She's like, wow, you know, if this hadn't happened, all these other good things would have would not have happened. So I think sometimes we get ourselves, we do this healing work, and then we're kind of like waiting for that shoe to drop. But I kind of feel like I used to be that way too, where but now I kind of feel like, wait a second, I've seen enough now to know that even if the shoe does drop and calamity happens, there's often a, a, a brighter side of it, there's often good that will come from it. I had That's mentioned right barn drama. We just had the owner of our or the the owner of our barn evicted the person who was leasing it who was taking care of the horses. And so like very, very quickly, I get this call like, hey, this person who's been taking care of your horses is now being evicted. You got to find a place to go. And it was just like, ah, no, I really love this place. I want to stay. And long story short, it's now worked itself out. I'm still there. I lease directly from the owner. It's working out better than I ever could have imagined. I'm saving some money. And now I have a reason I actually get to go see my horses four mornings a week, which in my world, any excuse to be like, you got to go to the barn more often is actually a very good thing. So again, it's this just like calamity, but wait a second, let me roll with it because actually there's probably a brighter side or something here that's working in your favor. So I kind of just am like, don't be afraid of the shoe dropping. Like sometimes the shoe needs to drop. And then it's like, wait, now it opens a door for even something bigger and better if you can be in a place where you receive it. 
That's right. And what you're highlighting in this roof collapse strategy is actually neuroscientifically based as a strategy to increase resilience. So regulation and resilience are two different things. Regulation is your nervous system being in balance between your sympathetic arousal system and your parasympathetic settling or restorative system. And what they have found is that when you can take calamity and adversity, and this is a this is a honed skill, especially for people who have struggled with early trauma, when you can look for, well, what am I meant to learn here? And what did this teach me? What did this hard thing teach me? And you can find a reframe. I'm not saying to make up something that isn't true, but like, okay, well, it, it worked itself out. And now I love, you know, where my horses are staying even more because they found someone better. Let's say that that is what happened. When those flood of feel-good emotions that translate into a hormonal shift in your body happen and you're holding two different a hard experience and a good experience at the same time, what it starts to do is it starts to decrease that traumatic, that natural embedded traumatic response and increase your resilience so that the next time that it feels like the house is burning down and your life is over, you're going to be like, oh, I've been here before and I know it's not true. I've survived really hard things, probably harder things than what's happening right now, and I can do it again. And then you will just simply shift and come into a flow state. So I love how you are talking about this because it is the thing that people need to practice, especially if no one's ever shown them how to do that. It's like, okay, not I'm not saying that, for example, abuse is ever okay. Never am I saying that. And what I know from my own history is that the way that I grew up made me stronger, maybe in some ways that I didn't want to be. It made me a fighter and a survivor in ways that are still breeding so many good things in my life. And it also made me a seeker. Like I was not going to grow up and do those same behaviors that my parents did with me to my daughter. And if there's anything that I got out of my childhood, it's that, yep, I am not passing on that legacy of abuse, that inheritance of like, you know, toxic behaviors onto my daughter, at least as much as I'm able to when I'm present, not do any of those things. So that is a really, again, that's a great way that you talked about both resilience and regulation, at least in my world. Yeah, you know, I look at that so similarly for my childhood, because I'm like, my parents could not have been better examples of what not to do. And as a parent, I'm like, oh, they would have done this. Let me go over here, y'all and do like the 180 because I know what not to do as a parent. Now, That doesn't mean that I'm a perfect parent. I have told all my children, I love you. I did the best I could. And I will pay for your therapy. When you're older, I will just, I will pay for your therapy. Okay. Because I did the best I could, but you know, I'm not perfect, but I will, I'll, I'll foot the bill. Okay. I love all, I love you. I love you to death, but I will, I will pay for it. So, but talk a little bit about like trauma of, of things that maybe are like, that doesn't seem very traumatic. Like, why would that bother you? I've gone back and done some healing work on things like situations where I'm just like, nothing bad was happening. And yet what happened kind of got in there during some of those earlier years and gets interpreted in a certain way as we're developing. And then we can like carry it for years. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I didn't really have a bad childhood yet in adult, you're like, hey, uh, my work-life balance is terrible. I I don't take care of myself. <laughs> if you're finding you're seeing some of those things, like, can you give some examples of what kinds of things might be traumatic, even though they don't seem like they should be? 
Yeah. So I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine from high school who I dated. And we had this conversation maybe like five to seven years ago. And he was just starting to do his personal work. And by all outside appearances, they were the perfect family. They lived in the fancy neighborhood. You know, they had plenty of money. Whenever I went to their house to hang out, both of his parents were very kind and very welcoming and all of the kinds of things. And behind the scenes, his dad was an alcoholic. And his mom was basically enabling that by just sort of, you know, like telling everybody not to worry about it and trying to make it make the veneer even to the children that everything was fine. And what ended up happening with my friend is that he struggled with an alcohol issue. And part of what was happening is that he was just not able to feel his emotions because especially with early trauma, most people who experience early trauma The brain has to find a way of making sense of why, in the case of like abuse or neglect, our parents are treating us a certain way. So if I'm Mm -hmm. getting hit, right, then the message I'm going to internalize unconsciously that's going to follow me through into my adulthood is that I must have been a bad kid. I must have been a really bad kid that my parents don't want to take care of me or they keep hurting me. And sometimes parents will even say that to children. And so what I find is that if you can't if we can't decode our, our parents' projections onto us from their own unhealed trauma, then we are going to carry forth not only with our own wounding, but the wounding of our parents. And what I say about myself is that I'm doing the generational healing for at least seven generations back behind me of all of the ways that my lineage was not available to be attuned, to be self-possessed, to be out of survival in their own way. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, so Mm -hmm. I want to get back to it. But that's sort of where I went with as you were talking is we just minimize because we it's the only way we can make sense of something really, really hard. It's like, okay, well, it must be my fault. And then if it's my fault, then, you know, what it really does is it puts the seed of control, so to speak, in that person's court. It's like, okay, well, I can make myself better. And even though I've got this really intense inner critic, which is another survival response to neglect and abuse, then at least I'm the one in control of doing it. No one else can hurt me more than I can hurt myself. Right, right. And I have found that the more healing work I've done on myself, actually, the more that inner critic has just kind of, she just shuts up. Um, That's right. And, you know, in business, we use a lot of different tactics and strategies and things like that. And the concept that our thoughts drive our feelings, our feelings drive our actions, our actions drive our results. And so this is something we use in coaching. I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of it. And it's true. Like if you want to get a better result, you can reverse engineer that and you can think a different thought. However, it sort of just leaves you at the mercy of your thoughts. And I believe that this deeper work is really when we do that work, we just don't have so many negative horrible, beating ourselves up, uh, kinds of thoughts to deal with, because I found that as I've healed these parts of myself, my perspective shifts, my positivity shifts, how I see things shifts, even when something bad happens, I can be like, wait a second, you know, even if I'm freaking out in the moment, I know you guys are listening, you're like, Oh, Jennifer has her shit together. Most of the time, you guys, not all the time. But like in the moment, you're kind of freaking out about it. But then it's just like, wait a second, there's something bigger happening here. And I can get out of my own way to allow something bigger to be present here. But as I that's the, the only place that's happened is from doing this healing work on myself. And then the thoughts have kind of been better. That's right. And I mean, as you and your listeners might be able to tell, I specialize in working with people who suffer from the impacts of early trauma. Mm -hmm. So when you have really early trauma, 
the skills that you're talking about, like all of this self-healing that you've done, that is amazing and typically not available, right? And it takes a lot of repetition of the practices, of the mindset shifts, of learning how to track your body and feel a sense of safety in your body to get to that healing work. And I feel like my, you know, my hot take is that healing work must happen with another person, whether it's your significant other, right? Like I believe marriage isn't just about like, you know, have like creating a great life together. But when I commit, when I committed to my husband and he committed to me in marriage, we made a commitment that we were going to both grow and that we were going to both heal our wounds from our past. And we didn't say that on a wedding day, but like, you know, 16 years into our marriage, that's exactly what's happened. So self-healing is super important, but you also need a safe enough attuned and self-possessed other in order to be able to do that work and get to the results and place that you're at in your own healing journey, which is tremendous. And the more people that do their healing journey, right? Like the whole reason why I'm so motivated to do my healing journey is because and this is also the vision for my practice is I want to end intergenerational trauma. Like mm. I'm done with that. Like, let's just end all of that generational trauma that was carried on from our forebears and create a new paradigm of parenting, of showing up in the world with friends, of orienting, orienting to ourselves with care and with compassion. Like that is the whole reason why I do this work. And I love hearing that you've been on your own personal healing journey and it's gotten you this far. I can tell by watching you, like your body looks really regulated. Your eye contact is really good. Your body also looks soft. Doesn't look like you're holding your breath or your shoulders are up by your ears. There's just a nice, easy flow between us. That tells me a lot about how far you've come in your own journey. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. like, Oh yeah. my God. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting to me that I, it's this, this feels like lifelong work. Anytime I ever find myself going, Oh, I've healed all that stuff. Then something else happens. In fact, just this weekend, my husband was annoying the ever living crap out of me. And I was like, Oh crap, this is probably actually something within me. <laughs> that actually needs to heal, right? Because we, in these partnerships, it's so easy to point our finger at the other person, but I'm with you hundred percent. I believe we attract the people into our lives that can actually help us heal. But sometimes it's like disguised and we get caught up with, especially if we've been in long-term relationships of being like, oh, they need to change. Oh, what's wrong with them? And I've now learned that when he's doing something and it's really creating some emotion in me, it's hitting some of those buttons. I'm like, crap, that's probably not him. That's probably me. Sometimes it's him, but usually I'm like, let me work on me first. But it's true. I'm like, nobody else could have created the reaction in me that he creates that gets me to do this healing work. And, um, Yeah. And then I end up being grateful and I'm like, "Ah, I do love (laughs) you. But I'm with you on your, on what you said is like, I need to, when I have a reaction that's outside what's called the window of capacity, meaning Mm -hmm. I'm sort of like starting to get upset or I'm starting to shut down. My first thought is like, okay, is is this about me? right? Like, am I under resource and or is this something from my childhood or my past that needs attention? And sometimes it's just like, no, my husband literally made a mistake and I'm angry about it. And then we work through it, right? But I love that mindset because I think it's an important one. It's like, okay, stuff is coming up. What what might need my care? What it, what part of my experience from childhood up until now might need my some, you know, attuned attention and some grounding Right. So the thing I would say is whenever we have those reactions and I tell this to clients, can you have compassion for the reaction that you're having? Can you bless it and be like, 
okay, I'm really mad. I wish I wasn't so mad. I wish I just hadn't yelled at my husband and my kid. And here's what was hurting underneath. I can't do that in the moment sometimes. I'm getting better and better at it. But in the aftermath of it, when I go away to ground and reflect, that's actually a really important piece of the healing path. Yeah, it really is. Boy, in that moment, it's so tough. And um, I actually worked with a a great trauma therapist for four years, and she helped Mm -hmm. me so much. So I'm a huge, huge fan of therapy. But during that time, I also read all the books I could find. I went through courses. Like I took, I listened to everything that she told me, you guys. I didn't just sit in therapy and talk about it. Like we did talk about it, but I I had to do what she told me to do. And I had to keep learning and learning on my own as well. And that's really why it worked. I will never forget in one of our first sessions, she was just like, Jennifer, you know, this is a lot of trauma. It's a lot of abuse. You're probably going to deal with this for the rest of your life. And I remember thinking, no, I'm not because I'm not. And I didn't say it to her, but I was like, I'm not dealing with this for the rest of my life. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to figure out how to heal this because I'm not going to live like this forever. And, and I'm not. And now if I get triggered or something like that, I notice it's happening. Sure. It's uncomfortable, but I can move through it very, very quickly. And that came from years and years, you guys of work. But I just, I, I only share this because somebody out there is listening right now thinking I've got a diagnosis and I'm stuck with it. And you might even be stuck in victim mindset of just like, poor me, everybody needs to, you know, bend to my will because poor me, I've got this diagnosis. And I just want to say, you know what, bullshit, like you can heal yourself, you can heal yourself, especially if it's anything from your past life. But you have to decide that you want to heal that you really want to be free of it. You want to like move on. You don't want to like, you know, suck it up for all it's worth. <laughs> I know sometimes we're getting attention from this stuff. And it's like, it feels good to get that attention. But if you really want to heal it, you can decide to heal it. At least that's my, my two cents. And I'm sure you see this with your patients too, who come in, talk to me about the patients who come in and like, want to like wear it like a badge of victim honor or the, the clients who come in and actually are like, I want to get rid of this and I'm willing to do the work. Yeah. So, you know, I actually don't, I, I know that that exists where people sort of wear their trauma as a badge of honor or it, or it runs their life a lot. But by the time that people are, the people that come to see me are people who have been to therapy and coaches and shamans and nutritionists and trainers for anywhere from four to 25 years. And they haven't found their way. They literally have been devoted through spiritual practice and reading and all the things that you talked about. But something doesn't shift because from my perspective of things, if you don't incorporate the body, then it's really, really what you're doing is you're just soaring, staying ahead of the wound. It's like covering the wound up with a Band-Aid without getting, yeah. you know, surgery or, neos, you know, putting Neosporin on it. Yeah. And so most of the people that come are really committed. And I, I say this with great care, but it's it's also because, you know, I'm trained and I've been doing this for a long time. My session fees are also expensive enough that people are like, nope, we're getting the most out of these (laughs) sessions because Myra is not cheap. And, you know, and I've been a therapist for over 20 years and trained in trauma and somatic approaches for 13 of those years, 13, 14 of those years. So, yeah, I do think it takes commitment and devotion. And really the commitment and devotion is to I want to stop hurting. I want to stop suffering unnecessarily because sometimes, like in my case, anger feels really good. It feels really good to go off on people and road rage and do whatever, but it just created more suffering for me in the long run. And that's how part of my journey started. It was like, yeah, I might come across as like tough, but I'm actually really soft on the inside. Mm 
So it has to be a commitment to ending your suffering as a whole, right? That keeps people on the path. And it is, it's really important to stay on the path. My clients that come to see me, they stay with me for a minimum of two years because we're doing depth work. We're doing like early, you know, we're changing the architecture of the nervous system. So it is important for for those of your listeners that are here, if you've experienced any kind of early childhood and and or neglect like abuse or neglect your work is necessarily going to be long and the investment is going to be worth it and right now you might not be able to know what that investment is going to get you but it is worth everything and jennifer you're a product of that i'm also a product of that like i'm literally living my best life like i'm living the dream life that i wanted and beyond when i was 10 years old and i was like this is the life i want and it's important that people know there is another side to it like yeah Maybe Jennifer had to go to therapy for four years. And what I'm hearing from you is you're enjoying motorcycle riding and that's a new skill. And you know what I mean? Like this is this is a life worth living and it's worth it to invest in doing your work. It really is. It really is. Yeah. And you guys, as I started doing this work, I realized there was definitely that kind of tough. You mentioned like the tough, but the soft inside, you know, that tough exterior for me, kind of had to develop as a survival mechanism. I mean, it was how I survived my childhood, but I'm not a kid anymore. I'm an adult. And when you realize that sometimes that toughness, it was just a survival mechanism, but you can't like keep up with it like your whole life because it's kind of exhausting. And it is exhausting. Yeah. And it's just like, wait, I was tough because I had to be not because I wanted to be. And now as an adult, right, I can actually keep myself safe. And I I know I can do this. And I can kind of drop a little bit of that just and you and when you drop it, you just feel so much better in your body. It's like a big breath of fresh air for just your whole body when you don't have to carry so much of that heaviness, you know, into adulthood because yeah. 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 I mean, the one thing I'll say about that is especially with early trauma, when your body is stuck in survival physiology by being angry all the time, let's say, or being shut down all the time, there's a high cost of doing business. And what that means is your body has to work harder to be regulated because those somatic patterns of survival are embedded there. And survival isn't just like, I was tough to survive. I mean that your heart rate beats a little bit more, your breath rate goes down, there's a lot more tension patterns in your body. So again, for anyone listening, doing your work is actually going to help your health increase by leagues. Because what I see in my practice is that the two systems in the body that are not working well for most of my clients when they walk into the door are their immune system and their digestion. And that's Mm. because their body is constantly using this energy to like sort of maintain their day and just be okay. But since we're not unlimited beings right now, we're finite beings. Well, then if something goes up, meaning if I have to spend all of this energy being vigilant in my world or being, you know, on go, 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 then other things are going to go down, like my immune system and my ability to digest food while we're taking nutrition. So we want to decrease that high cost of doing business by helping clients heal from any kind of trauma, but especially early trauma. Oh, I could talk to you all day. (laughs) I love this stuff. I really, really do. And it's so mission critical because you bring it all into your business. You and, do. Right? You bring yes. it into your business. Our business is, you guys, it's a, it's an evolution. It's our creation. And we create it. And we put all of our junk <laughs> into it. And we it's do. Like, 
right? And then if we don't do this core work on ourselves, then our businesses suffer, we suffer. And that's why I love talking about this on the show for business owners, because doing this kind of work on myself has, has been mission critical for my success in business. And I want you guys to hear this. Like, it's so, so important. You, you, you might show up and go, Hey, I have a, a a work-life balance or a time management issue, or I'm not pricing my, my services well, or I'm hiring the wrong people. Well, guess what? Yes, there's some tactical stuff, but there's also a bunch of junk under the hood. (laughs) Oh my God. We are so in alignment about that. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope you guys are hearing this, really hearing this. Myra, I, like I said, I could talk to you all day. I love, love, love this stuff. But unfortunately, we're going to have to go. But can you share with everybody where they can go to find you to find out more about the work that you do? Absolutely. So you can go to my website, um, somatictherapypartners.com. And there's an S on the end of partners. I will say this, I've, I've so enjoyed talking to you. And like, it's kind of making me thinking, it's kind of making me think about like, Maybe I need to start like a coaching program for business owners who want to do their deep work, but in such a way that it's in alignment with their business. Because you're right, there are, I mean, I've made poor hiring decisions. I've worked my fingers to the bone and all of this is from my early trauma. All of this is driven from a need to survive. And I just have so much heart and care for all of your listeners. So hit me up, somatictherapypartners.com, or they can email me directly at myra at somatictherapypartners.com. Myra spelled M-A-I-R-A. Beautiful. And we will put her information in the show notes as well. Yeah, you've got me thinking the same thing. And it's so interesting because I was literally just changing my, my, my work schedule and I was hitting all this resistance. And I'm like, where is this coming from? And as I worked through it, I realized it was coming from something that happened to me. There was just this memory hanging out. And I'm like, what's going I don't know why this memory over here is hanging out. And I I was disciplined as a child by my grandfather, who was everything to me. And we were playing with this ferret. They had a ferret. I don't really like ferrets, but as a kid, we had one. And it was running down the hall. And I remember it was chasing me. And I ran and I closed the door. And I think I got a little bit of the ferret. And I got yelled at. And which is what a normal parent reaction would be of like, you just hurt this little varmint here and kid, you know, don't do that. But it came from my grandfather, who was my world. And when you're growing up with parents who are very toxic and abusive, and you have this one safe space, and I remember him yelling at me. And I rem- and it was a normal thing as a parent looking back, I'm like, yeah, I probably would have yelled at my kid too. But I remember looking back that when he was just the center of my world, And it felt so bad to disappoint him that I was like, I remember now looking back in that moment thinking, I will never disappoint somebody ever again. And (sighs) uh uh-huh. And I'm like, ever. And and I'm like, why don't I want to change my schedule? I don't want to disappoint my clients who I love. Love, right? So when you start, this is what I mean by guys, like when you start doing this work and you're like, why am I not wanting to do something? Where's this resistance coming from? And you have some tools and and know how to kind of get in and go after this stuff. Now I'm like, oh, and that was from something that wasn't like anything crazy or shocking or anything like that. It was just a normal day to day. We were all playing and something happened and I got disciplined 
And literally I'm like, that's my resistance. I don't want to, I don't want to disappoint. And now I know where to go to work. I know where to work on this and what to do with it. So, so I just want to, I share that with you guys, because it's just like, it's such important work to do. And it really does, you bring it into your business. And so if you're, yeah, if you're willing to show up, work with somebody like Myra, like it's just really, really good to do. And it will literally change your whole life. It'll change your whole life. What a great example. You and I need to talk for three more hours, but I I know know. we need to go, but like, (laughs) that is such a great example of how things get embedded in our system and then they just become how we run. Like, nope, can't disappoint anyone, even at the cost of myself. So I love that you brought that example to your listeners. It's brilliant. And while it wasn't necessarily a traumatic event in that, like, you got hurt or, you know, lost or whatever it was, for your little self to have your safe person yell at you, that was traumatic for little Jennifer, right? And so as an adult, it's like, oh, but I'm not that kid anymore. And it isn't about disappointing other people. It's about taking care of myself so I can bring my best work forward. That's the whole jam, right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. I know. I could just sit here and just go and go and go. (laughs) All right, you guys. I have a feeling we might have Moira back on our show because this is just such good, good stuff to talk about. But please reach out to her. Check out her website. Check out this kind of work. Um, Even if you're not in the state of Colorado, like, you know, look for somebody who's a practitioner near you because it really is so important. I can't overemphasize enough how important this work is to do on yourself. Moira, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Jennifer. Have a good one. All right, you too, everybody. Get out there and have a happy, productive day, y'all. Bye. I hope you found today's episode of the Happy Productive Podcast inspiring. Every successful business is formed by a set of small, consistent, and attainable steps. If you want to learn more, come visit us at jenniferdawncoaching.com to take your next step and learn how to meet your business goals. On our website, you're going to find free resources along with links to the life-changing coaching programs that have transformed the lives of so many of our clients, including the Coaching Academy and our Unbreakable Retreats. Many of them started their journey by listening to this podcast. That's it. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. This is the She Leads Podcast Network.